Hey, everyone. Before we start the show, I want to let you know that we're proud to welcome Sabian as a new sponsor, and we're giving away a 16-inch crash from their new line, HHX Complex. All you have to do to be entered to win it is leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher, then copy and paste that review onto our Facebook page. This Facebook step is important because it not only gives us a boost there, it will also be how we contact you if you are the winner. Here's what Sabian has to say about these new symbols using technology gleaned from years of developing some of the world's top-selling symbol lines like Evolution, Legacy, and Artisan. Sabian introduces HHX Complex, a new line of exquisitely dark crash symbols. The 16-inch complex crash employs a combination of HH and HHX hammering, a raw hammered bell, and a number of the aforementioned proprietary techniques, resulting in one of the richest, sweetest crash symbols Sabian has ever produced. So once again, to win a new 16-inch Sabian HHX Complex Thin Crash, leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher, then copy and paste it to our Facebook page between now and the end of October. Big thanks to Sabian for partnering with us and sponsoring this giveaway. Check them out on your social media platforms of choice and Sabian.com. This is the Working Drummer Podcast. Working Drummer Podcast. Featuring ground level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today, my guest is drummer, author, and teacher Dave Stark. Dave is a highly in demand session and touring drummer, as well as one of the world's top notch instructors and clinicians. Born and raised in New York, Dave studied with legendary teachers like Dom Famularo, Jim Chapin, Al Miller, Frankie Malabe, and Gary Chafee. After attending Berklee College of Music on a scholarship, Dave's career took off quickly back in New York City where he became a first-call session artist. He also started a teaching career, which to this day has many top drummers seeking out his advice and guidance. For over 25 years, Dave has traveled the world doing clinics for companies like Zildjian and Yamaha. If you are in the Nashville area, October 23rd, that's Wednesday at 6.30, we're having a live recording. It is a personal finance seminar put together by the podcast, and it features our guest, Michael Mercurio. He's a financial expert. He'll be there talking about all things financial and how it relates to those of us in the entertainment industry. So it could be anyone in the music business, not just drummers. So again, if you're in the Nashville area, this is free. It's at Drum Paradise, October 23rd, Wednesday at 6.30. There will be a link in our show notes where you can RSVP for this event. As always, you can find us at workingdrummer.net to find out more information about this episode and all the episodes that we've done so far in the last three and a half years. Subscribe to us on iTunes. You can find us now on YouTube. We are slowly building our library of past episodes. If you use the hashtag WorkingDrummer, we'll include you on Instagram and our stories. If you want to support what Zach and I are doing here at the Working Drummer Podcast, there's a couple ways that you can do that. On the homepage of our website, WorkingDrummer.net, you can find a button for PayPal. There's also a button that is a link to our Patreon page. Patreon is an easy and convenient way to support the podcast on a regular basis. Donations start at a dollar and you have access to the bonus material that we're providing on a monthly basis from past guests. 
As always, any donation in any amount is greatly appreciated. So here you go, my conversation with Dave Stark. What do you define as success? You know, I mean, when, when you're looking at a career, when you're 14 or 15 or 16, to what the, the real-life situation of what, you know, a, a career in the music industry is or in, in, in the field of playing and teaching and recording or whatever else you know, you're doing is, is it, it, it's, it's, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. And that's kind of like what, what you, what you just said. And, and I, I think people think it's either you make like this high six figures, seven figures and live in a big house and just, you know, you have this, this lifestyle that almost doesn't exist that people, you know, envision, um, very, or, and if not that you're, going to be eating box macaroni and cheese for life and living in a roommate situation with, you know, six other people. And, and, and it, it's not, it, it's not all or nothing. You know, the, the majority of working musicians are middle-class, you know, people, you know, that's, that's some, some on the upper, just like, just like any of our neighbors, some might be a little bit more, you know, upper class, upper middle-class and lower middle-class, but, but the majority of working, you know, that, that are, you know, filling up our calendars with work, um, are just that. And it doesn't, you know, again, people young or people that I can also say, don't do this for a living. Think it's all or nothing. You know, if they ask you, you you got, you know, the the regular person you meet out, who's a friend of a friend at a party and they go, Oh, you play drum. Who do you play with that? I would know. You know, and it's like, if you don't have this repertoire, big names that you can just drop, then it's like, Oh, you know, you, 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 you must be struggling or, you know, you know, they don't, it, it, people don't get it. Um, but like working drummers do understand that. I think anyone that's stuck around in this industry for long enough has. There are some unique identifiers to the working musician. I mean, there is the hustle that, um, mm-hmm. some, you know, people, if, if, if you, if you're the drummer for Aerosmith, guess what? There really isn't much of a hustle. You're just waiting to get that email or that call and said, Hey, uh, we're going to pick you up here and we've got this show and we've got that. And there's this tour. <laughs> right. So th- right. there's a, there's a bit of, a bit of extra work. There's a bit of, and it, and, and I think hopefully that's some of the things that we'll cover, uh, over the course of, of the life of this podcast and some other good friends that we have that run their podcasts and, and the articles that are written and the clinics that are done. And I had this written down at the collective. Uh, you did that workshop, Careers in Music, and right. subtitled Various Jobs in the Music Business and Defining Success. Mm-hmm. So um, while we're kind of on that, to to uh, dive into that just a little bit deeper, when you talk about various jobs in the music business, what are you talking about? Well, you know... I usually, when I bring this up, I'll, I'll point to myself, you know, and, and I, I describe to who's ever there, you know, things that I've been through that I didn't necessarily see, you know, that 16 year old Dave to, to now, um, and, and the path that that's come along, you know, throughout my, my history, uh, it's pointed me in different or it took me to different places that I never expected when I was 16 year old Dave, you know, um, in, in building a career. And, you know, started out really just between, you know, teaching and playing and being in New York and, um, little by, you know, a lot of people know that I'll put it out, you know, Jim Chapin was one of my big teachers and mentors and being at a NAMM show, I think when I was about 20 years old, um, uh, the first NAMM show I went to, he introduced me to, um, 
the guys from Sweden that ran Deedrum. Not necessarily Deedrum now, but that's Claudia, which is, you know, that now they just really just think of Nordly. But, but those guys from Sweden, and if everyone, you know, Arch is old enough to remember all the Deedrum ads and the little Deedrum things that they oh, kind yeah. of post throughout the pages of, you know, you know, and be like, Deedrum, yeah. But, but uh, you know, re- really hip stuff. But Jim introduced me. I put his arm on my shoulders like, you know, here's Dave Stark and you, you know, you got to hear him play. Let him check these out. So I played and the guy told me, he's like, you played these wonderfully. Uh, come by anytime throughout the show and, and play them, you know, for people. I'd love for you to stop by. So I did that throughout the, the, the three or four days in them. And then uh, on the last day, he's, he's like, so you live on Long Island? I was like, yeah. He's like, well, you know, our U.S. office in Connecticut, when you get settled in, why don't you, why don't we meet for lunch one day? You either come up to Connecticut or meet in the city and ended up being maybe two or three weeks later, I went up to Connecticut and, and he said, I'd like to give you a kit of these. I'd like you to maybe do some clinics. Um, and we can, you know, just, we, we kind of own these, but, but let's, let's, let's do some stuff. We like the way you play, but, but why don't you kind of learn more about these hands-on and little by little that turned into me wearing a bunch of different hats. I got involved. Yeah. I started out kind of as a clinician for them. And then that took me to being, um, like a product specialist as they started advancing different lines. They always give me different stuff and let me product test it for them. And, and then that led to me being on the phone with people like Kenny Ironoff and Jonathan Moffat and just, you know, troubleshooting things. I just, no matter what it was and Jim Keltner and, and just all, so many different people that were like heroes of mine. It yeah. just, these were people that they were having me get in touch with. Um, then they, they saw that I knew a lot of drummers and a lot of drummers, I got along with them, you know, like well on a peer based level. Um, and they started me having to do some arts relations. So, I mean, it's the perfect example. Like I didn't see my career ever getting involved with a company on that level and starting to do some arts relations and getting on a plane and going to Dave Weckl's house with you from, you know, and, and yeah. setting up samples and triggers and, just, you know, it just that, you know, um, and, and it was really cool. I, I mean, it just that, I mean, between traveling, um, that, that I got to do, um, just in the clinics for them, a lot of the cool stuff was me, you know, what I got to do was, uh, you know, work, work with these guys, you know, go to the studio out in LA where Jim Keltner was producing uh, a record and playing on it for AG Crozier and, wow. and doing, doing sampling with him. And here I am, I'm like, I'm, I'm, you know, you just, I'm like this fanboy. I was probably 21, maybe 22 years old at the time. And, and, and I'm at some studio out in Hollywood with Jim Keltner. And he's like, Hey man, you want to call, you know, and just, and, and, you know, a couple months later, I'm at Dave Weckl's house walking in and, and being a fanboy. And he's like, Hey man, you want, you, you want a cappuccino? And, and, and you're sitting there going, Dave Weckl's making me a cappuccino. Like, don't lose it. Don't lose, you know, um, <laughs> So, so there, there was so many, and, 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 you know, I'd look at myself and go, I'm getting paid to do this, you know? Yeah. Um, so it was, you know, I, I still was able to play. I was still doing clinics for them, but you know, I was learning about the business on a totally different thing. And then, then I ended up being the guy that kind of helped design and set up their NAMM shows. So through that, you know, that, that alone, just within that first year or two led to other, you know, Zildjian, which was 30 years ago, you know, reached out that, you know, I, I had already kind of gotten, and that's a whole other topic of those endorsements that always comes up, but yeah, uh, and yeah. people contact me within, and we can probably talk about that more, of course, yeah. but, but that, that was something, you know, all of a sudden the phone rang one day and 
you know, was invited up to Zildjian, and then that led to a stick endorsement, and another, you know, and then and then a Yamaha endorsement. I mean, it just, um, and at that point, I still had no big, I was gigging, and gigging a lot, you know, being in New York City, so I had this life of, of teaching. I had this, uh, you know, uh, just teaching five, six days a week, you know. Um, I had this life of, of doing gigs, you know, with a bunch of different bands uh, in New York, t- taking on any gig I could, doing that part of my career. So that was at least four or five nights and, and over the weekends from weddings to private gig to, you know, club, just, just everything playing mm-hmm. all over New York, mm-hmm. um, the tri-state area. Um, and then I had the clinic, the, the clinic part, you know, um, all, all going on. So what I learned after a little while was, um, looking back is that the life of a musician and I think this holds true for everyone that's a working music is, is unless you're that Joey Kramer, who's waiting for that call is your job entails your, your calendar, filling up your calendar. And when you're younger, you might look now like, you know, we're in October. I might look at March and go, I only got two things in March, but I know cause I've been doing this long enough that I'm not going to starve in March. Work will pick up, yeah. you know, I'll have my students, I'll have gigs, gigs will, my, my calendar will start, you know, and, and as I get to the beginning of February, someone will call me for something out and, and, and hopefully, and, and it has been the case, I'll be able to say, Hey man, I, I can't, but part of my working nature is, um, but you know, if, if you haven't yet, let me give you the number of this guy and this guy, and there's the payback part of, of, you know, trying to keep other drummers that, that I, I like, or even my students, my more advanced students, give, give them some work uh, gotcha. with nothing and not expecting anything in return. And if it comes back, I think we all help each other out. I think drummers do that especially well, um, help one another out. But, uh, like I said, so, so it's, it's, it, it just took on, like I said, that part of my career, a lot of it, I didn't, you know, I, I only saw when I was younger, either I was going to make it with some big band, you know, or I really want to be more of like a session player. And I knew I always wanted to teach. I just admired my teachers and where luckily where I grew up and having people like Tom Fanuara and Jim Chapin, I had some great teachers and people that had some great livings and, you know, great careers that, that, um, these were people I hung out with every day, you know? So I definitely had some good guys rubbing off on me, um, to, to, to be able to see that these were guys that were somewhat famous in the drumming community, maybe not household names, you know, sure. um, for working with other bands, but, but in the drumming community, they, they were, they were huge and they had good careers and they owned homes and they, you know, and, and so I got to see that part of it. Um, and, and you saw them creating a it, career in that part of the music business. Yeah. Yeah, it did. I, I saw him just, just decide to really, just, just he was doing already doing clinics kind of when I met him, but really turned it into his global enterprise, you right? Know? Um, and and be involved with everyone, you know, on, on what he did and putting on these shows and being the MC and the you know, you know. So I got to see that. And Jim Chapin's thing was was a bit different how he went out, but he was this guru that everybody admired from being, you know, and and uh, and and you know. Being around, like I hung out with these guys every day. It wasn't just lessons. It was like we, we all taught out of the same place and we all hung out. We all went out to dinner and we all went to shows together. And just, just you know, I can look back at that. And, and I'm not one of these guys that just had one or two lessons for like a Jim Chapin. I hung out with him every day for years and years and years, you know. 
Tell me more about that. I, I'm I'm one of those guys that had that one lesson with Jim Chapin. <laughs> when he came through Columbus Percussion, he would come through on a regular basis, and we'd schedule lessons, and and uh, I would I would sign up with him. I I know I had one. I might have had two lessons. It's been a while. Uh, but tell me, like, right. what was that environment where you live? In? I'm I'm assuming this is the time when you were in New York City. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, yeah. Well, you know, I'd gone to Berkeley when I when I finished up there and came back to New York. So I was up in Boston. And I came back to New York and um, and quickly went to. They hired me to start. I'd taken lessons at the Long Drum Center and taken some lessons from Jim and taken some lessons from Dom, among other people. And then one of my uh, teachers growing up was Denny Carma, uh, not Denny, um, Denny McDermott. And Denny, a lot of people played on, he played with Donald Fagan. You know, he was more about like groove. It's funny because like all these different genres and, and, and all of a sudden he was too busy to teach and he got the gig. He played on, uh, Mark, Mark Cohen, you know, uh, okay. walking in Memphis. Yeah, oh, wow. You know, okay. Such a great drum track. So he was one of my teachers. He was a guy, you know, he was just the guy in Long Island teaching drum lessons and moved into the city and got an apartment and started. And then next thing you know, he's doing that and he's playing with Donald Fagan and, 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 uh, and, um, but, but so his lessons were very different, but when he left, that's when I kind of jumped in and I guess I was around 15, 16, jumped in with Dom and then Dom kind of turned me over to Chapin too. But, but studying with Jim was, um, it was very different than what most people might think. We, we honestly, like we did obviously the molar stuff and yeah. he really, he, between both of them, honestly, they, they fine tuned, they pointed out, these were the first guys that pointed out what I was doing wrong. And then little but but came up with ways to to fix them you know or getting rid of all that tension in my playing and, mm. and posture and then um and then me on my own kind of realizing that maybe i'm overthinking like I, I at first i'd i'd be so paying attention to my hands even on a gig that it was kind of getting in the way so i kind of had to take <laughs> some things on yeah. myself and just say say you know what my right hand doesn't have to look like Vinny's on the bell of a symbol you know but i had to kind of learn that but but the the thing with Chapman, like people bring up his book or like we did most, I, I never did his book with him. I've done it with other teachers. Like we never did the advanced studies, you know, we just, you know, never did that. We, we, we just did hand. The, the majority of what we did was talk. We, we worked on hand stuff and then we just talked and, and, you know, it was well worth every penny. Uh, like I go in for an hour lesson and they were never less than two hours. They'd be knocking on the door, just going, Jim, you got another student. And the, the next one just pulled up too, you know, and, and, <laughs> and no one, Jim was going to finish when he was done, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but it became also like this thing, like, like going to NAM shows, Jim, Jim would show up out there and, and, you know, DW would fly him out and he'd be like, he'd, he'd pick up his badge and, you know, he's always walking around with a pair of sticks, right. you know, on a pad and just right. put on little drum lessons impromptu. And all of a sudden, one day at like three o'clock in the morning, knock, knock, knock. He's knocking on my hotel room, going, "Yeah, DW got me a room, but I, I don't even know what room it is, and they don't know that. I don't even think I'm in the right hotel." I'm like, "Oh, Jim, take take my bed. You know, I'll just crash on the floor." No, 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 no. I'll sit in his chair. I'm like, you know, no. And Jim's, you know, <laughs> was a young guy at that time, and I'm like, going, going, please take me. He's like, no. So he 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 would do it. So he gets in one of those chairs that's in like in a hotel room with like a little ottoman, puts his feet up, and I get up probably three hours later and he's gone. He's already gone. He's going to meet people for breakfast. And, and that's just him. He just had this boundless energy. That's know? crazy. Um, Anybody that knows Jim or have met him, I mean, that story just makes so much sense to me. That is so yeah, funny. And, 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 and it's, yeah. And, and then you just run him to his later. And, and it's like, 
I'm like at by you know what by two in the afternoon my feet are aching. I'm looking to like go and get some Indian food and just sit down for an hour and stare out the the window like a zombie, you know. And 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 Jim's still running around, you know, putting on like little lessons for people, and 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 then he'd be out of the show. And but the, the one of the coolest thing about him was, and, and maybe you got from your lesson, like he, out of like all the other teachers that I had that were probably the same age as him that I'd have a few lessons from, uh, he was very in tune with the younger drummers. Like, like it would be someone my age now looking at some guy on the scene. And like, he was very into Vinny and they, like, like he knew everybody, he knew their technique and he knew how they played. And he had admiration for a lot of these drummers, you yeah. know? Um, and he would be like, well, Terry, you know, he's really Matt Bozio. He he would he would do it like this. It's more like French grip. Like he knew how everyone played. Like he was this just just guru of information, and he understood where everyone was kind of coming from. You know, um, so so sort of like the lessons with him were just talking about, about a lot of stuff, um, and and from there it just became to you know, and, and he didn't really care about you know he talked about careers and money. Like Jim didn't really care about that. He would he would just have like some beat up car he buy. Yeah, you know, and he lived out actually in Shuttle Island at the at the very end of Long Island, and he would his car would break down somewhere on like the Jersey Turnpike, and he'd get a ride to like a rest stop. You <laughs> know, here's Jim Chapin, probably you know seventy eight years old or something, and he get a get a ride, and he he'd call collect to the drum center, Long Island Drum Center, and next thing you know, I'm moving students around and I'm driving out to New Jersey to pick them up and give them a ride. And we drive all the way out to the East end of Long Island, you know, and he'd be like, what are you doing tonight? Oh, like, Oh, well, you know, I just kind of have some rehearsal. If you get a chance, you know, you head into the city. One thinks his mother was a famous artist. Okay. Um, I didn't know this oh, you know, right. when I first okay. met him and he would take a, take a painting off the wall and we'd be driving to like Sotheby's or Christie's, you know, and, and he'd be, Selling to them, you know, giving to them, like, oh, shit, and just be like, okay. And I'm like, well, I got to go, or like, I got to rehearse. And you just come to my rehearsal and just kind of hang out, you know. And like I said, there was a, it went way beyond drum lessons. It was just this, you know, we, we became friends. Age didn't matter. You know, we just had a mutual respect for each other. And, uh, and you know, you, you, I, I look back at it now, like I said, just Jim was known by so many and that, that I can, you know, say that I had this, this friendship and we knew each other and knew each other well and this, this, this mutual respect because uh, he'd have me come out and sit on, he'd, he'd have these gigs and he'd have me come sit out and he'd love the way I played Latin music so he'd, he'd be like, Dave Stark, the Samba King is going to come up and you're like getting up there and Jim be scatting and he would just decide he wanted you to do a drum, he, if he called you up, he'd like, like, drum solo, Matt, and just, just like the band be playing could be like, a sax player could be taking a solo, and all of a sudden they just stop, and all these guys that played with him knew, you know, yeah. and it was surreal, you know, just, just looking back at it, it's like, wow, you know, at the time when you're doing it, you don't think it's like, you know, it's cool, you know, if you're hanging out with Jim, and everyone knows Jim, but but uh, you look back at it now, and go, that, that was, you know, that was a gift somehow however you want to look at it in life like that was a rip it is interesting that you say that because you know i think back at the time you know you talk about the car i just remember him pulling up to columbus pro percussion and the, this old mm-hmm. blue station wagon he had with this bluish black smoke belching out of the back of it and yeah. we're all in there you know we're like 23 years old and we're we're laughing and we're just like jim man he what a trip this guy is he's just like such a unique person and we knew who he was, we knew who he had taught, and we all wanted to take lessons from him. But I don't know if we 
completely knew the the gravity of the situation the the, the who he was to the community when we look back now and it, 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 it your story allows me to reflect on that and think oh my gosh i we should have i should have taken more advantage of his presence of his teaching mm-hmm. of those things and to know when you have that unique person that is so dedicated to the craft to the community to not let that maybe a a um a unique personality cloud your judgment to let that person right. feed you this valuable stuff, especially the generation that is connected to the generation before and before that. You know, it's just, speaking of Boston, my son and I were just in Boston last week and we went to right. the Museum of Fine Arts and I found a painting which was part of a propaganda poster from 1862 and there's a picture of a drummer boy that the Union Army was was using as, as to promote uh, soldiers to enlist. And I was telling my son, I said, you know, these Civil War drummers became teachers of the future drum set or trap set players right. in the early 20th century. And you see his, and my son's not a drummer, but I'm like, you recognize the traditional grip. And it just, mm-hmm. it brought to light. It's like, there's this lineage, there's this history that you can go to your teacher now, who had a teacher or had somebody they knew that is connected to this art form that, that we all love and adore that, that goes back right. so far. And and that's what I, I, I always make sure when when I'm teaching students like Mo and Matt that I explain that and I explain Jim and I explain that he got this study from Sanford and I explain the Civil War drummer, you know, and, and and how they just had this balanced energy and they, they needed it and how they kind of, you know, just developed out of necessity. But then yeah, like you said, you could you know, modern drum set playing evolved, you know, and and these were the guys that, you know, that had drumming knowledge and became players, you know, and then passed on. But, but, uh, it, it is. And, and I also believe that like every, every next student, like it's, you know, I'm old enough now that I've got, even for years that I've had, you know, students that I, I and their students, you know, and I see their students, I call them, call them my grand students of mine. And, <laughs> and, and, and it's kind of cool because it's not just like molar stuff that I passed down from Jim. There's other stuff that I kind of came up with and that I've given them and they're passing it down to their students and they've got students who are old enough to start to teach and they're, you know, it's kind of, you know, who knows that, you know, you know, that, that stuff's supposed to take on a life of its own, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and, and, and it kind of like, you don't know what your student's going to do. Like Jim didn't know what I would do with the information he gave me. He just gave it to me, you know, and then I passed it on and you don't know what that student's going to do do with it you know um in, in their life could just be playing but um you know uh well what it was uh you know what was it about your time in berkeley because you're like hey man i went to berkeley and i'm going to new york and mm-hmm. i'm going to play what was it that inspired you to continue lessons well yeah i i think that i i, I really there was so much more in my life well i went to berkeley like i Obviously, I was, I, was, I was a decent player. You know, I went there mm-hmm. and I went, you know, I had scholarship, partial scholarship when I went there. And, and uh, uh, the cool thing about Berkeley is like, I came out of Long Island where I felt, you know, my, my head was pretty big. 
you know, I felt like in my town or the surrounding towns, I was like the hotshot drummer, you know, even though Long Island's got a lot of great drummers, you know, and there was a lot of, you know, definitely a lot of great drummers. But for my age, right around then, and you go there, and one of the first people you meet who was two doors down the hall is Will Calhoun. He's <laughs> like an eight, you know, and it's just like, you know, just, no way. And then Ben Porowski, if you know who he is, you know, like, like this, this, and he's like younger. He's got like a full suit. He's, his dad is a jazz musician. You see these guys swinging and you're like, I'm, I'm used to playing like high school jazz band jazz. We're trying to play some weather report tunes and these guys are swinging, you know? Yeah. And, and, uh, so it was like, you know, getting some of that stuff out of it and, and like the lessons you get there, I knew I needed to evolve a lot more. And, and the thing about like going to New York, and then wanting to get gigs and going to these jams because everybody, you know, from from Chapin to whoever, when I first even met Weckl, they're like, gig. If you're not, you know, either you're out, if that's what you want to do, then just go out and gig. If you're not gigging, then hang out and see players play. But I knew that there was so much in my playing. I went to this guy, Al Miller, who was just, he just specialized um, uh, in, in, in reading and chart reading. And his son, Matt Miller, was a good friend and roommate of mine for a time. Matt's an incredible drummer in New York. Um, but, it was, uh, you know, I went to him for reading and then like Dom and Chapin for the technique stuff and then Frankie Malibay for Afro-Cube and stuff. Like there was so much stuff I realized that was there for yeah. my taking with these great. So I, you know, Bobby Sinabri, I took some lessons with him to get more of the, the Samba stuff and Brazilian stuff. So, so, you know, I, I just became this for a couple of years, like, like this, this guru and, and of, of, studying under gurus, I should say. Um, and, and I continued with Gary Chafee. I drive up to Boston. I'd leave my house at four in the morning and go and take like a two hour lesson with him once a month, you know, and get, get that stuff in. But I, I had this, un, you know, quenchable thirst for, for drumming knowledge because I knew that other people were better at certain things. And I just, you know, um, I was going to have to step up. There was stuff I was going to have to learn, especially if I wanted to play in New York you know, um, and just do more than just simple bar cover band gigs, you know, and, uh, yeah. and it was a combination of, you know, everything was school back then. It was, it was great teachers and it was just learning on the get, getting the evil eye and learning not to do the bad thing that gave you the evil eye, you know, from, <laughs> from, from some players. Uh, but you know, I, I can also look back at that now and go, man, that was, you know, it, it was a pretty happening scene back then. I was, it was pretty cool. That I was able to work as much as I did. Um, you know, at that time with some, some great players over there, you know, there, there's, there's people you play with that you see that have gone on to, you know, that they're still just playing you around New York. And there's other people you play with who are, you know, that you did gigs with and, and hustled and stuff that are superstars, you know, now. And, uh, you know, like a Dean Mizell, somebody I played weddings and played rock bands. And she sang, you know, she's the one who sings let it go and frozen and all, you know, we ended up all of a sudden, I remember her going to me one day, young and Beatons play off Broadway, you know, I'm like, what, well, you know, just play rent and just then, you know, like you're, these are people you're hanging out with and, you know, with the same age or a little older or younger. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of cool to see other people who stuck it out and where their careers have gone. And just other people who just like me, you know, out doing their, doing their thing, which goes back to the careers of what most people are doing this middle class, you know, uh, working musician, you know? Uh, yeah. It is amazing how it evolves you know. and it, it has peaks and valleys and there's uh, certain ways at different stages of your life that seem to be a better fit in the yeah. way you get work and how you work. Yeah, I think I think I learned it, and I talked about going back to you know your initial question, but you know that drums collective thing and what I you know uh, talking about careers and music yeah. is 
is that I learned from that age, and again, it wasn't a plan. It just happened, and then you realize what's going on as you're looking in a rearview mirror. But but there was multiple revenue streams. I had my keychain income. I had my wedding band income. I had my regular band income from playing from different rock bands or jazz gigs, you know. And then 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 I had my clinics, and then some you know. You know so I had I if one was slacking off, if teaching went down in the summer, well, gigs picked up and I had gigs out in Hamptons. And if, you know, so, and then if that slacked off, now I got more student, you know, and then, you know, there were times where clinics were, were more busy. And then I realized I could get students to teach my, like that were more advanced to teach my students and, and keep part of that income going, you know? Um, so it was, you know, it, it just evolved. But, but in, in what I try to teach now when I do these things is that's, you know, again, filling up your calendar, just not, relying on just that one gig we've all know people who have had this one gig that for a while and and i always try to sum it up if the singer of journey can be replaced and people still go out and see journey then hey you know anybody can be replaced anyone so um always always have more than than income coming in from one direction if you want to do this you know I even notice i have some friends that have some road gigs or artist gigs here in nashville and um, mm-hmm. I, although the touring is starting to pick up in duration as the as the music business is changing, uh, it's less the fairs and the festivals. There's still that. There's still a season, you know, from around right. November till April or so. Sometimes players are very – it's very slow. But I notice a lot of these yeah. players will uh, – you know they'll 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 offer lessons. They'll work with someone else. They'll uh, start building their uh, home studio clientele, so that they're always busy and kind of preparing for anything that comes along when, when or if their artist decides to take a break or go with a different drummer or stop their career altogether. And then if that's sure. your only gig, you know, I know a lot of the same guys and it's funny, you know, just, just we're, we're friends with a lot of mutual yeah. you know, drummers and, and, and seeing them some, some who, yeah, do pick up some other stuff too. And then, you know, one thing I've noticed as I've kept, you know, seeing those seasons is like, you know, it's, it's a time for people to start designing their new setups, you know, and stuff. And, and at least, you know, they're, they're, they're being active and just like, okay, I'm going to change my, my setup. Now's the time to kind of start, see what gear I'm going to take out for, for, you know, the next, the next season, you know, and putting together. So they're still utilizing their, their time at least, you know, um, but, but I'm always a believer that, you know, regardless of what you do, uh, is it, and this is anything with the arts, you know, you're your own CEO, you're your own CFO, you know, financial agent, your own administrative assistant, you got to create opportunity. And, and, you know, if you reach out, like sometimes if I, I'll just be like, Hey, you know, people may not, reach out to me for Clint yet. Like, like, I mean, some do, but I sometimes by just sending a simple email, just being a little active and proactive, uh, I almost feel like we're overused, but, but being proactive sometimes I'm like, Hey, I reach out to somebody and like, man, I'd love to have you. And then reaching out to the companies. I just do it. I'm, I'm my own administrative assistant and I get the companies behind me to support it. And, 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 uh, and see where it goes from there something. And now all of a sudden I've got something booked that would have been booked ever. Yeah, I've got the full support from everybody, you know, and, and from the companies as well, even financial support to go do what I'm going to do. But it never would have happened if I just didn't reach out one day and just said, "I'm, you know, I'm going to reach out to you know." I think people five. would be surprised how 
how much some of these uh, schools or communities or companies appreciate that proactive spirit. And there yeah. are times uh, just on the podcast alone when I think, man, this, I don't know if this person would ever be interested in being a guest or, you know, have the time. And, you know, I think when I, when I texted you, I mean, y- you got back with me like w- within the hour. I, I, I saw yeah. something coming up uh, with Gary Husband. He's doing a YouTube thing. And I thought, you know what? There's, there might be a good opportunity to talk with him and and talk about this new thing, kind of use it as a promotional tool. And so I'm like, well, sure. what the heck? I'll, I'll find You know, it's so easy to find people now and through Messenger yeah. oh, on, yeah. online. And so yep. he texts me back in 20 minutes. <laughs> Yep. He's like, I'm going to Europe with Joe McLaughlin, but let's find some time. I'm like, yay! I'm such a Gary Husband fan. No, that that is, and and you hit upon something. You know, growing up in New York gave me, you know, that that well between the people I came and did clinics at the at the Long Island Drum Center. You know, I got exposed to everybody. You know, so for, you know, I could I I was able to finagle get a lesson from like Dennis Chambers or or, or David Garibaldi. He came to town. You know, like like do one on one. We'll hang out. Or meet Jeff Picaro, or just you know, just so many cool things. But nowadays, and it's not necessarily me, but you know, I, I tell the students, I'm like, just ask them. They're like, they're like, hey, there's this guy. You know, they'll they'll bring up something. Where, you know, Rod Morrison. I'm like, you know, they, they, I'll have a student who just discovered like the dregs or something. And I'll, I'll turn him on. I'm like, he's a nice guy. He'll write you back. Write him. You know, or just just whoever it is. I'm just like, you know, just reach out. And we didn't have, you know, like I said, I I had like you know, where I lived and, and the exposure of it, because everybody came to New York. So at least I had that, you know, uh, but, but, you know, nowadays it's, you know, if you, if you just take some initiative, you, you know, not everybody will, but you know, if you get seven out of 10 people to, that get back to you, you know, that's, that's pretty good. You know, well, and there's, there's treat them with respect. Them, you know? and, and you can have these conversations, you can have Skype lessons, there's mm-hmm. there's the meat hook app that you know. Yep, I'm about, yep exactly. That Anthony uh, has. With, mm-hmm. You know, uh, that, that there's just so many ways to, to connect. It, it's it's really amazing. If somebody becomes, they go to school. Like I went to school for music. If somebody goes to school and they become accountant, and they they're 45 years old and they're making 60 grand a year or 50 grand a year, nobody says. Wow, that guy's a failure. You know, they can fit. You know, why? Because it, you know, like the, the account that's making fifty thousand a year is not deemed a failure because there are, are accountants that like own their own firms making half a million a year, five hundred. But drummers or musicians seem to have this thing, or maybe their parents sometimes do that. Uh, you know, it's all or nothing. Like, it, it, you know, I, I always ask students when I do clinics, I was like, "Do you think a drummer who makes fifty thousand dollars a year is is a failure?" You know, and people will shake their head no. I'm like, well, it's not that hard to do. You know, if yeah. you if you're putting your eight hours a day and you work and you know, you know you work on getting you work on yourself and you work on getting gigs. And if you want to teach and, and and just I mean just don't do it just for money, but but, but do it because you want to do it. But there's money there and there's money getting wedding bands pay really well. You know, leaving different areas. But 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 you know. Um, by putting all that stuff together, it's not that hard to come up with a thousand dollars a week, and a thousand dollars a week is, you know, fifty grand a year thereabouts. You know, and and you can certainly make more. You know, um, so 
This is great because uh, I'd love for you to speak a little bit more to this because in anticipation of a personal finance episode we've got coming up, uh, two weeks from this episode that our listening that our listeners are listening to, you'll be able to hear the audio portion of this live presentation that we're having here in Nashville with the financial expert Michael Mercurio. I had uh, a time a couple weeks ago with sometimes gigs and lessons and things they fall in this really nice pattern where it makes my month nice and full. I had a right. crazy time when things just were off kilter. And I had this really dead week, and then the next week I had set aside for my son and I to go to Boston, and so I had these two mm-hmm. weeks of very little work, and I'm like, oh my gosh, and this happens maybe once a year or so, but it, it, was, it was that time, in a, in, in a kind of a, in a micro way, it, it was that time that showed that dip, and that was only a week right. and a month, you know, but I mean, you might have that year that you're not making the money that you were before. So could you speak to that? How do you prepare for those slow times? Well, you know, and, and, and that's, it's a great question. It's a, it's definitely a real life question. And like I said, that that's why we are our own, regardless if you work for even a really popular band, you know, you you're yeah. still, you have to realize nobody cares about your career as much as you do and your family, you know? So yes. it's, you've got to be your own CEO and then, you know, you know, CFO, you know, financial officer, chief financial officer and, and, and your own administrative. So, so you know, coming back at, you know, I found, I was bouncing back and forth between Florida and, 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 you know, Atlanta for, for a couple of years, you know, I was in Atlanta a long time at least, but, but coming down here, just, just now I've been back here a little over a year and going into this summer. Okay. Well, you know, we're getting into what's called season here. And the cool thing about Sarasota and like this part of Southwest Florida is, you know, there, there's a humongous support for the arts, all things arts. It's one of the reasons that, that, you know, brought me here and brought us here is that, that, you know, they, they've got their own opera company and theater companies and just jazz, you know, they, they really do support all things art. So it's a good place to live and be a musician and or if you're into any kind of art. Um, but in the summertime, the population gets cut down by about a third. It's really hot out, you know, all those gigs that are outdoors, you know, you, know, you, you don't want to be playing outdoors in the summer here. Not, not, not that really Atlanta or Nashville is that much cooler. Right. You know, it's not, but because <laughs> I'm, I'm still near the Gulf, but you know, it's pretty, I lived in Atlanta a long time. I could say, you know, it gets pretty hot, you know, in the summer there. But, but, uh, anyway, so, you know, I didn't see the company, but like students really slacked off, you know, as well. Um, because I'm doing a lot more teaching than I had done previously when I was down here. And then, um, uh, and say things gigs. Well, they don't dry up totally. So, you know what? I, I took my own advice. And I said, I'm going to kind of get up, do my, my, my run, you know, whatever I'm going to do yoga in the morning, you know, eat breakfast, have coffee. And I'm putting in eight hours today. But also if I only have two and a half hours of students and yeah. I only have one gig this week. Okay. I'm every day. I, I'm going to write some articles I'm, I'm, and, and then I'm going to reach out and let me see if I can book some clinics going into you know, November, you fill up, you know, some play. I may not be filling up my calendar now for, you know, in July for, for August or something like that. And, and, and you know, I, again, I, I was working enough, but you know, it's, it's kind of squirreling away when, when you have that lifestyle and just like the people that, that tour a lot in Nashville and, and the way the seasons work, you know, I, again, I tried multiple revenue, you know, income streams and it's good that I have, you know, a little bit coming in from different, all different areas, but, um, at the same part, you know, um, 
at the same time, it's, you know, using that time and saying, I'm going to put in this time on, on me, you know, so if it was, you know, opening up my laptop and writing some articles and then just setting them out in different things. And, and I've got a couple of things that are become coming out in various different, you know, over the next, the next couple of months, you know? So, um, and not like even if they pay huge, but you know what, I, I'm, I'm one that looks at things add up. If you get $150 here and $200 there, and 250 here and another 150, you know, and they come in at various times, well, at the end of the month, you know, it might end up to another grand, you know, but, yeah. uh, but I used my time to me. I, even if I get paid November, to me, it's almost like I earned it in August because that's when I was putting in my time working on this stuff. You know, that's when I was busy booking some clinics going into winter, you know? Um, so, you know, it, it's, I, I know that there's going to be peaks and valleys and now a little bit more now spending that first full year back in Sarasota. I know now for next summer, well, maybe I'll have to look for some of these other things, you know, heading up north. Maybe I'm going to have to spend a little bit more time up north. Yeah, and like, you know, I'll just go. I've got a lot of friends, you know, old friends from New York that gig. And I have even people like, hey, man, why don't you come up and you uh, do, do a couple gigs? Well, you know, now I'm going to look at it like, you know, maybe next summer I'll just go up north for like a month and just gig and teach, you know, um, whenever, wherever I travel somewhere. If, I, if I'm going somewhere to do a clinic, I try to teach. Or if I'm going somewhere to do a gig out of town, I try to set up a couple of lessons. Sometimes it's a hit, sometimes it's a miss. In the past two months, I've been hit up, you know, where I've submitted things, I've been hit up from two different publications. One, you know, one, one to the PAS that, that reached out to me, hey, we're, we're, we're looking a little light. You got anything? You know, um, and I was like, is there any kind of need that you're looking to fill? And, and I'll ask them. I'll just be like, if they're looking for something kind of specific, you want it, you know, you want it on this or that, I might give, or they could just, you know. And there was a couple things that I wrote that I had just sitting around That's that awesome. were rejected from somebody else. You know, and I sent them all six and you know what? They're running with five of them <laughs> and it's probably going to turn into a column. So it's just, it's, you know, I, I never deleted those things. And just cause somebody else said, no, it's like the old days of shopping your record deal. You know, just because one, one says, no, it doesn't mean somebody else, somebody else might have a need and, and what they're looking at just not fitting what they really are looking, you know, it might not be up to par in what their direction is or or, or what you want to move in. And next thing you know, you're building a new relationship and somebody's like, Hey, now they're reaching out to you and going, you got anything for me? We're looking a little light for December issue, you know? So that's amazing. Um, yeah. and that's easy, yeah, and easy and, and, enough to pull it up and, and send it out and boom, you're off and running. Yeah. And, and you know, it's really funny because the, the one of the things that's coming out in like rhythm scene for PA is something I wrote like a year and a half ago that somebody else passed on at the time. So we made, but, but you know, it was like, you know, I didn't have to do anything. I, I mean, I did at the time write it, but one day I just sat down with an idea. And you know what? A lot of those ideas are just the things that I go over with my students that I just teach or that I talk about in clinics. You know, they're just, it's just me putting pen to paper or a little sit down on my computer and writing what I always talk about. It's not like I'm pondering new stuff. I'm just, it's new stuff to everybody else, you know, but in my small world of who studies with me, it's not new, but to, you know, maybe thousands upon thousands of drummers out there have never heard this concept. Um, so, you know, it's uh, amazing. You know, uh, but I'm still not going to get into a comfort zone of saying, you know what, now everyone's just coming. I can't expect that that will, I will continue to reach out, be it for, you know, write articles and submit. And, and same thing with booking clinics or, you know, there are people who reached out and said, we want you, and but I'm going to continue reaching out. You know, 
I, I never let that part rest. You know, I might wake up tomorrow and go, well, you know, I've got a couple hours this morning. I'm going to reach out to this. I've already got a couple places in mind just to reach out to, you know? Um, so that's awesome. Why not, why not do it now? You know, it's like, like, but, but it's me motivating myself to just like, I push some little button in my head and say, do it, just get it done. (laughs) Don't, don't think about it anymore. Just do it. Let me ask you about the Percussive Arts Society, because we've got that coming yeah. up soon. And tell us about your involvement in this. All right. Well, a couple of years ago, um, I was, you know, a bit been doing what I do. And somebody through there from the drum, center, drum set committee reached out and just said, hey, man, would you, you know, be interested in, uh, you know, we, I've been checking out. Would you be interested in, in uh, you know, being a member of the drum set committee. And I was like, you kind of said, I'd, I'd be flattered, honored. And yeah, you know, I, I said, absolutely. I said, because, you know, I said, I am definitely an educator. And I, you know, I, and I think I've done enough stuff wearing different hats that, uh, that I, I'd love to be involved and share whatever experience, but at the same time, learn from all these other, because, because part of that committee, you've got your, you know, Rich Redmond and just, and then you've got like the head of ours relations for one company. It's a really diverse, you know, panel. So, um, and there are set terms on how long you can do, you know, things for. And, um, you know, so I, I got involved with that and that even led to, you know, it, it was, it was kind of cool because that led to writing. It's actually coming out. I think they're releasing it. But uh, a bunch of us, including myself and Rich and a few drummers, um, wrote this playing card thing that's going to come out. That like, what, what should all drummers like coming out of high school know that want to play? Like, if it's oh, going to be awesome. how to play an authentic bossa nova or something. And it's kind of like a playing card thing, so you just pull it up and have these like different rules. You know, watch a standard Motown funk or you know, in different variations. So we all put together, and and it's funny because it was passed around to different publishers. And first people said yes, then they said no, and then they said yes again, and they said, and and we were. But we're doing it. Matter of fact, we're contributing. I don't want to say a lot in total relief, but like a part of, part of that proceeds are being contributed back to PAS because we all met through that, you know. But like, did I see myself being involved with some of these people writing? No, 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 not at all. <laughs> you know. So, um, but like I said, it, it started with that, and I guess that was 2014. And I've been a member of going to you know basic shows for a long time, but but uh, yeah. Um, it was cool. Like I felt that it's nothing that I kind of just went online and submitted a form for. And I kind of look at endorsements the same way. I never like just, I try to tell you know, people that reach out to me, don't just go blindly and write, Hey, I'm this guy or this girl and check me out, you know, type of thing. Like let people get to know you and just don't, don't reach out when they're ready. You know? Oh yeah. Um, it's, it's, a, there's and, building relationships for sure. Yeah, exactly. And and no one has this patience here. And that's a whole other thing too. Because like, I, 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 not a week goes by that I don't have somebody asking me, "Hey, who's the ours relation person?" This, you know. And but 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 back to PAS. Um, you know, now that you know there was an opening that came out for education committee, um, and I. Uh, um, had one of the guys was kind of leaving who's chair, but he and I, you know, you get to know people through there and it's, it's just a different take, but you know, it's a different community that also helps pick the R's for pace of more the educational R's. Um, but at the same time, get involved in some of the publications and what works more. And I think it's cool. You know how like band directors are, you know, they, they have to band, especially like high school and to be in college, how they kind of 
they might play trumpet, but they got to teach drums as well. So I didn't even know this existed, but there's a whole part of PAS that's there to provide percussion and drumming information to anyone for free for any, you know, band director anywhere. That right. Oh, yeah. This information. And yeah. we can even work and consult with them kind of one-on-one to help them with issues they might be having. So I'm kind of getting involved with that a little bit now, which uh, I know people, I know plenty of people that have been, and that are band directors and can use that, who have been hitting me up on and off for years. So, um, you know, and, and just recently now I was, uh, recommended for, for board of advisors, which kind of, you know, helps pick the upper, I guess, management or, or committee. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's just something that started from one person reaching out to me one day via a text to, to now a years long, you know, development that keeps growing and growing, you know? Um, and, uh, as an educator, I'd say it's, it's one of the ultimate flattery, like, you know, just something else I didn't see at 20 or 30, and I just figured that was out of reach, but that's, you know, not to even kind of put my own name in the hat, but to have somebody reach out to me is like, that's an acceptance of my peers. And that means a lot to me. And I think to you know exactly what I'm talking. I think all drummers will know that like, the, you know, um, to have that, the respect of your peers, yeah, um, yeah. carries a lot of weight in, 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 in when, when you choose this lifestyle and this career and there's, you know, it may not always pay the, the bills, but it makes you know that what you, the time and hours and decades that you put in is paying off in some way and people want your knowledge. You you get to a point where your knowledge becomes what I call wisdom, you know? Um, and, uh, it's, 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 it's an ultimate flattery to me. And one of those things that I, I don't take lightly, you know, I'm, 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 I'm I'm greatly humbled by it. I hope it doesn't come across as bragging because I'm really, I, it's one of those things like, I can't believe that, you know, um, that I'm even involved with this, that, you know, uh, you know, it's like getting, it's like getting a gig, you know, but but as a teacher, as an educator for so many decades, it's kind of like getting one of those big gigs, you know, which it may not be putting a huge paycheck, but it's, it's, it's like, okay, what I've done was done right. And, and, you know, so far, you know, and you put uh, the work I, in I, to, I, to get there. Yeah, I exactly. You know, it, this, this work is not for nothing, but now there's other people I get to kind of share this with on a, on a bigger level. And there's other, other people, like I said, you sit on some of these panels, I look around, I go, what am I doing here? Type of thing, <laughs> almost, you know, but, 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 but I guess in some way I have to say I earned it, you know? Um, yeah. and it's a, it's, it's a humbling experience, you know, to, uh, to be, part of something like that. Do you remember the dates of PASIC this year? It's in Indianapolis, I believe. I believe, yeah, Indianapolis, I believe the first days of 14th, 13th, 14th, something like that. I know I'm flying in on the 13th, but it's that weekend, whatever, that Thursday. In November. Saturday, yeah, in November. That weekend, the 14th, 15th, 16th. The way I really discovered drums, you know what? I, I was definitely drawn to music. I would in, in my house, you know, um, I've, I've, I've got two older brothers and my dad, finance guy, banker, you know, like, like, you know, co- corporate financial type of guy. So no other musicians, but, um, but he was really into music and exposed me a lot of stuff, but we used to go, we had a stereo. I learned how to use it at a really early age. And I would just listen to radio or put on, you know, records or cassettes or when we all had those eight tracks and everything at a really early age and just get into this rocking chair. And, and just kind of sit there mesmerized by music. And 
then watching things like the monkeys and Partridge family. At, at first I really wanted to play guitar. So yeah. at five years, at five years of age, my grandparents got me a guitar and I think it was for my fifth birthday actually. And I got a guitar and, but it was a full size acoustic guitar. So I'm five years old, you know, they, they didn't know any better, you know, but, but I started lessons, um, immediately on guitar I could say, look back now and say I learned how to read music, but my fingers do not work. They still, to this day, they do not work on a guitar. You know? <laughs> and I tried frustrating for like a year and a half or so and just wasn't working. Um, but, you know, I grew up in Long Island, uh, on Long Island and uh, we had cousins that we were close to that lived in New Jersey. And we used to go out there at least once a month. We used to go out there a lot. And these, these cousins were, there. it was a big family, like seven kids. Uh, wow. And my cousins were older, almost all boys, and they all had musical instruments. So, like, they almost had their own kind of partridge family thing going on. And uh, in the basement was a drum set and guitars and amps and keyboards. And, but I should just go down there. Everybody else would be upstairs and we're running around outside. And when I discovered the drums over there, I just would go down and just start playing them and playing them. And just that was, it, it was, it made sense to me. Like, you know, um, I was able to kind of noodle around. Nobody would even come down and show me anything. I would just go down there and they'd yell that dinner was ready and just kind of have to drag me off the kit. Um, I just wanted to do it. That's and, awesome. And I started bugging my parents for, for, for drums and lessons. And they were like, well, maybe they saw my guitar that I, you know, I, I tried, but it didn't work. But um, uh, I remember the first song I played and figured out, you know, there was, uh, was Hey Jude and just putting it on and playing it over and over and over and over and figuring out how to play a beat, you know? Yeah. And, and um, my parents went in first, they just got me, a, you know, a set of sticks and a pad and they signed me up for lessons at that same music store with a drum teacher. I remember the guy's name was Joe Destefano. It was in Wontour, New York, this little music store. Um, I can't even remember the name of the store, but I remember uh, the, the, the teacher. And, uh, then I got a snare drum. I got one of those little like red CB 700 snare drums with a little attachment arm with like a stamp metal symbol on it. Sure. You know, but I was thrilled just to have that, you know, yeah. so I was probably seven when I got that and beat the hell out of it. And I think that the first one was red. Then I got a blue one. And then maybe within a year, then I got a used drum set and I was super into Led Zeppelin. That's why I wanted to be John Bonham. And it's <laughs> funny because my first teacher, he showed me to, he taught me to play traditional and, but I wanted to play like John Bonham. So I switched my hands, matched. And, uh, you know, that was my first real musical here. I, I, I would say John Bonham and Keith Moon when I got seven years, eight years of age. Sure. You know, I was very into Zeppelin and the who, and, uh, and, and, uh, was teaching myself just songs. You know, I had my lessons, but we didn't do a lot of music. Um, and you know, uh, we, we, played beats and fills out of books and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I'm not going to say he didn't teach me, but, but he was definitely teaching me. But uh, fast forward a few more years, and I'm about 10 years old, and the Long Island Drum Center opens up this little store, tiny little store. And, uh, and immediately I just switched over there. It was close enough that I could ride my bicycle there. And that was, you know, involved with, with, with Don at the very beginning and, and Chapin. You know, what it would be around. And that was, you know, I, all of a sudden there's this place that opens up. And it's, I started uh, with Jerry Ricky, who was the owner at the time. And uh, it was so small, like my lessons, my mom would, would get kind of annoyed when she would take me because it dropped me off for lessons at 
what semi-lessons right after school, and I'd be at like 3.30. It was supposed to be at 3.30. Mm-hmm. It'd be 5 o'clock, and I'd still be in there because it was almost a one-man show. Like somebody would come in to buy some sticks and heads, and he would run out there and be selling them stuff, and I'd be in the room and, you know, and, <laughs> and uh, you know, did that until, you know, I, I started – they started having clinics and next thing you know, I'm meeting like Louis Belson and Billy Cobb and like, they really kind of started putting drum clinics on the map, at least out there. So it exposed me, um, cause I was a student there, um, and hung out there all the time that I got to start meeting all these people. Um, and again, looking back, it was kind of surreal, you know, just being 10, 11 years old and meeting Billy Cobb and people like that, Louis Belson and buddy, wow. whoever else that they had out for these clinics. Um, I used to go there almost every day. It became one of those things where like, like if I put together a bunch of these little PVC things that they were making for drumsticks that he'd come up with, like this make rig thing, you know, rigged up, um, I'd be able to keep a, you know, a pair of drumsticks for myself or pick out a new snare head or my next lesson would be free. So they were like, like they, here was already some value of just kind of hanging out there, you know? That's um, amazing. Yeah, and then that led to, like I said, he got just too busy, so he passed me off on. He was just like, I'm going to have to start, you know, like stop teaching, but, you know, my friend's teaching here now, this, 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 you know, Denny McDermott. So then I started with Denny, and Denny was about, like, he put on Doobie Brothers tunes, and he was all about pocket groove, you know, and and funk grooves and Motown, and like I said, he was the one that went on to play with, you know, Mark Cohen, and, you know, he's the guy that we all hear on, on Walking in Memphis. Okay, yeah. and like I said, just, just, so, so I studied with him for a few years and then I was always involved in, in, you know, school band. That was something I just always was, you know, from there and, you know, uh, junior high school band and, um, you know, playing in the jazz band. I, I was never really into marching band. Marching band wasn't big and I always kind of wanted to get out of it. It just wasn't my, my thing. You know, I was more into jazz band and playing like the, the well, symphonic orchestra, orchestra and wind ensembles and stuff like that. Um, not really a mallet player and didn't gravitate towards any of that. I just wanted to do the snare drum stuff and just, you know, and drum set. So, but it was also my first time having to like trade fours, I remember. And, and I didn't know how to do that. You know, I, I had no idea. Like to me, if I had to play four measures, like, like how, how do I, how do I do that? Yeah. How do I, how do I count? Like, because if I count, I'm just going dip, bop, scoop, the dip, do the dip, the crash. You know, but I wanted to be like, you know, John Bonham and Moby Dick or, you know, Neil Perk's drum solo. And I, you know, couldn't fit that stuff in. So I, it was kind of cool because I started kind of figuring out ways to, 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 to do that. Uh, matter of fact, one, one of the articles I have coming out is it's kind of, a, I, I bring up that situation and that, that story. Um, and, um, but from there, you know, same thing with high school. And, and I think I knew by about ninth or 10th grade, I got my first letter. From Berkeley. I've never seen him in modern drum stuff, but I got my first letter from Berkeley. Uh, and uh, it was more, I guess, about doing one of summer camp or doing some summer program there, which was really little. But I, I didn't do it, but um, went up to Boston with my dad, and I saw the school, and I was just like, I'm going here. I'm going here. I'm going. And, and I just geared at that point, you know, whatever was going to be involved to get into that school and audition and get a scholarship. Like I didn't want to just go, I wanted to get a scholarship. Like I wanted to, you know, um, you know, get in and, and somehow, uh, get some type of ride or something like that. But, uh, 
I that's when I really started diversifying my 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 studies. Then, like I said, once once Danny left, that's when I started off with with Dom, and then from Dom to Chapin, and then um, they passed off to Al Miller for my reading, and just you know, uh, I took seriously like learning. I, I remember not really caring what a samba was at like thirteen, fourteen, at sixteen. I really cared what a samba was, and really being able to play it. You know, so, right. I remember so those, those I think great. I I spent I spent a good time besides just playing all the cool music that I wanted to play. I was really into pro, you know, pretty progressive stuff and that, and then King Crimson and the Dregs and stuff like that. But I, um, but I really wanted to be able to make an impression, and I, and I I didn't have any real outlets outside of school band to play any of the jazz or Latin stuff. So um, I learned the basic, you know, formulas of, of, of being able to play that stuff and good enough for, you know, high school band or whatever it was. Uh, but, uh, you know, then I got invited to New York state jazz band and I, I, I got into that. But again, my playing was very, the way I was never in a comfort zone. You know, I, I can say I, I didn't feel comfortable playing jazz, my big band jazz, you know, four, four on the floor swinging, trying to swing buddy rich style that was jazz to me did you feel um, like did you feel like maybe you were a, you were trying to be a, a just just trying to take your path is similar to mine and and like you discover all these different styles and and you you yeah like man there's nothing but samba now but do you ever feel like yeah. you were kind of a jack of all trades but master of none or you know because there's just there's this whole world of different styles did you ever feel that way yeah absolutely you know what that's when i real i I really started realizing that, that, um, well, yeah, I, I felt I was really good at that. You know, playing along with Rush records was pretty easy at that point. But then I was having, if I put on some, you know, some, or even playing odd times, even if I didn't know what the odd time was with like King Crittenden and Discipline or stuff like that, I figured out, then I look back to figure out what the time signature are. I, you know, learn by ear, then, sure. I, then I'd analyze them. But at the same time, I would sit down and I would try to play some samba stuff or some real swing, and I sucked at it. And 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 I realized I'm like, wow, this stuff is harder. Maybe these drummers are, you know, in, in, in my 16 year old mind, I go, well, maybe this guy is better than Neil Peart. Well, not necessarily better, but like, if I can play this, but I can't play this other stuff, I'm not as good. You, you know, like like it really kind of haunted me. You know, like I felt I was, you know, just top heavy in one area and lacking a lot of other areas because I couldn't. Eat, you know, I was like, all of a sudden, I was like, well, jazz really is harder to play. And, and now, nowadays, I look at it, nothing's harder to play. It's just what you're putting. I didn't put the time in on it. You know, seriously. It's, it's, uh, it's a I, good point. But yeah. although I have to say that, like, uh, I remember Zach Albetta, my co-host, said once, he goes, the thing about jazz or maybe even Latin, jazz and Latin, is that it encup- if you can if you can do that, if you could do that well, then it's easier to get a grip on other things because it, it it involves so many different things. It involves technique. It involves groove. And, you know, as much mm-hmm. of a Neil Peart fan as I am and uh, grew up, I understand that there's sometimes there's not necessarily a groove element to that music that is so right. important to certain types of swing. It's like that requires right. technique. And, and a lot of his thing is once... Once you figure out the basic concept of that type of drumming, it's 
it's more of just learning new patterns of power too. And, and, and it's yeah. the songwriting or the coming up with parts. That's the brilliance in it because there's nothing really new. That's more difficult. It's just, you know, what, like the brilliance becomes how they compose their drum parts. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, uh, you know, getting to Berkeley, you know, and then seeing that there, there were drummers there that grew up playing jazz and didn't know any of the rush or King Crimson or yes stuff or Zeppelin, you know, and they, and they but they could swing their asses off, you know, and they were just yeah. like, like, wow, you know, you know and, and, they, and it was like, like, all right, well, I don't, I can't do this, but, but you know what? I think it, I, I became one of the drummers, like, I'm going to learn, I'm, I'm going to learn. And I remember like the first time one day just sitting down and, and I had uh, this, my very first night, I had a bunch of different teachers there, but this guy, Joe Hunt, and Joe was kind of like a pretty bad alcoholic at the time I studied with him. And I'd come in for lessons in the morning to be like passed out. And, you know, and it's not that it's just who he was and just, you know, and, 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 but, but at the same time, I have this huge admiration. He was the first guy. He's like, I'm going to play this tune. And he walks over to a piano in this smoking a cigarette back, 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 back when, you know, your teachers are smoking a cigarette in your, in your drum room, you know, and, and, right. and he's like, and he goes, he goes, all I want you to play are quarter notes and then two and four on the hi-hat. Play quarter notes on the right and then two and four, but I want you to make it feel round. And mm-hmm. he was playing a left-hand bass line then started comping some chords, and I got it. I got, it had nothing to do with going ding, 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 even though I'd been through the chafing and bucket again, not with Jim, and can play. I had the independence. All of a sudden, I was like, this is it. I was like, this is the... This is what I've been missing the whole entire time. It's 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 like he said the word round, and it, you know that I I've used that same explanation to other students. Some students have got it, some students didn't. From from you know everyone's got a different. But for for his path to reach me, that's what he needed to tell me to reach me to get me to understand what I was missing. This episode is brought to you by DrumSellers.com, the niche marketplace where drummers, drum retailers, and drum manufacturers buy and sell their gear. List your drums for sale for free, and the only fee is 4% if it sells. Simple. Check out all the new used vintage and custom drum eye candy at DrumSellers.com. I want to keep doing this. I do not want to slow down. Incorporating... Uh, exercise regiment has been just a part of my life, uh, always right. has been. So running, lifting weights to a certain degree has always been a part of the way I live. But yoga has always been, the last 10 years or so, has been intermittent, but has become right. more of a focus in the last couple years. And I'm doing yoga maybe three, four, five times a week now. But, oh, and, well, that, that's great. Good. Yeah, and I know it's part of you, and so I, I'd love for you to, to speak more about that, and then I just want to yep. relate one last thing about yoga that I've discovered is mm-hmm. you also mentioned tension, like with your lessons mm-hmm. with Jim Chapin and, and Dom, yeah. and I notice that when you're holding a pose and trying to get inside of what makes mm-hmm. yoga so great— is releasing tension and having power without tension. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's drumming. That's creating power. It it is, and and there's so many parallels to drumming and yoga. And it's not, like when I got into yoga, and and I wanted to do it for a long time, you know, 
I, I felt like I needed, you know, I went through this whole thing, like, you know, and, and the opposite, it, it was living a, a unhealthy lifestyle drove me to seeking out a healthy lifestyle. And, and it was really running and, you know, and, 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 and learning to be really healthy. But, but it was, yoga was something I wanted to do for a long time. You know, yeah. and I knew about all the benefits, but I just never really did it. You know, I took one class here or there, just, just, I mean, like once every three or four months, you know, there'd be one at a gym or Y or something I belong to. And I, I'd go in and I'd kind of do it and just be like, eh, you know, but, um, but, but I definitely wanted to do it. And, you know, Dom was the first one that said to me, you know, that, that even before Jamie did that, you know, there's a huge difference between playing or being intense and being tense. Like releasing tension allows you to play more intense, frees up your mind, frees up your body. But, but you know, there are so many parallels between the practice of yoga and the practice or art form of playing drums that it's, it's mind boggling to me. You know, yeah, um, yeah. It, it's, you know, I, I, I did that article. If you have a story for, for, for Pamela, Sarah, you know, Danny's Danny, Sarah, wife, you know, um, it has, magazine i guess based on on health and drums and how it's good for mental and physical health and and um but it's is it 21st century yeah 21st century drummer and yeah that's for anyone listening that's where you can find my thing where i where i talk about it i was edited down a little bit but we'll i'll talk about it now since you're getting it but but it's it's you know first thing i'll say is it's just like drumming because here's one of the parallels if you get a bad teacher you're going to have a bad experience and get bad results. There's a lot of yoga teachers out there, just like there are a lot of drum teachers out there who decided to call themselves drum teachers or yoga teachers, mm. be it online, wow. be it in person. And they're, they might be really good at what they do, but they're just not really teaching. You know, it's just, you know, um, so I had to go through a couple of teachers and it was luckily, you know, uh, but the point where I really decided I wanted to get into it, I, there, I, I belonged to a gym. It was down here in South Carolina, but back in like 2014. And I was, um, uh, I, I'd watch this one yoga class, I'd go in the morning, and there was just one yoga class. And, you know, the teacher just seemed really nice. And somehow I just started talking one day, and she's like, well, come on in, come on in. And, and you know, I was like, when, you know, when's your schedule? And she told me when I was, when it was. So I went in for, for one, and I was like, I did one class with her and it was just like different than it. It was like walking into a lesson with like a Dom or Chape. It was just different than all my other lessons, you know, or any other class that I had taken yoga. And we focused on the breathing. Like she came over to me personally and she said, whatever you do, don't give up. Don't stress yourself. Don't hurt yourself. She's like, don't push yourself. You know, she's like, find your egg. She goes, just breathe. If you have to, she goes, just lay on your back, close your eyes, and just don't leave the room for the hour. And you know what? Like halfway through the class, like just doing that, like I could, you know, because I was tense at certain areas, I was using muscles or trying to, that I had used and balancing and just like, you know, um, it's going to lead to another thing that she told me after class. But she she just said, you know, just did. So at some point I just laid, laid down, you know, and I just closed my eyes. And she just said, be present in the room while everyone was doing it. And then, like she really cared and wanted me to get this. And she just said, you know, Find your own pace. She goes, don't worry. There are people in my class that have been doing yoga for two years or 20 years, you know, and, and it's just a mix. And she goes, I want you to just, this is all about tiny little baby steps. Just find your edge and whatever it is, 
pull back. And I kind of, I've changed my teaching to this. I never have anyone try to force tempos anymore if they're doing parallel, you know, whatever it is. It's like, find this edge, whatever it is, pull back a little bit. Just, just leave it, to do everything that you're doing where it's comfortable for you, you know? And then exhale, you know, breathe. You know, it's your breath and control. And as drummers, we all know that. It's like the breathing thing was, was everything. It's just like if you hold your breath when you're drumming, you're creating tension in your body. So yeah. it was like the yeah. same thing there in yoga. So she was pointing that out. And so I, I started really, I got the concept of, of, of where like learning to find my edge and then pulling back a little bit, breathing, relaxing a little more. And then, wow, all of a sudden you can go a little bit more. But still, again, not overdoing it. Um, and she said, I want you to go online. There's a New York Times article. You know, she's like, Google about men getting hurt doing yoga. And it came from, like you said, you worked out, you ran. Well, what is it you do when you work out? You're like, you're always, everything's about pushing everything to the limit. Like, do one more, do one more, do yeah. five more. Like, 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 like you get there. And, and she's like, and it, the article is about how more men hurt themselves more doing yoga and early on in yoga than women do. It's not because of women, you know, uh, being more flexible. It, it was because men come from this, do five more. Like you, you see people in class and you look around, you see them doing it. So you just try to do what everybody else is doing. Oh, yeah. She said, don't worry about what anyone else does. This is your practice. And it's the same thing. Just like, don't worry about what anyone else is doing. Drumming. You work on you. You know, work on you and you'll get better. It's it's that simple. So uh, you work on you and yoga and you get better. But slowly but surely, like everything that seemed impossible to me, I, I used to see people do poses, you know, and, and like the cross. And I'd just be like, I'm never going to be able to, you know, you know, I can do this, but I may never be able to do that. And next, you know, I just got uh, over time, you know, be it a year or two years into it. You know, now I'm five years into doing this and I'm doing you know, things that I, again, thought would be impossible. And, but the parallels, and if you're starting to do, you know, if you're, as you're doing more yoga classing from the breathing, yes. the balancing and the releasing tension, you know, um, you know, it's, and making it your own practice, it's exactly identical. It, it is so parallel. I want to relate just a couple things about what you're talking about. Uh, mm -hmm. I notice if I can relax and say I'm playing something solely on the snare drum where touch affects tone and I want a mm -hmm. great sound and you can choke a drum if you're too tense and say I want to play a fast train beat on a country song, sometimes I can tell when there's too much tension and it's not about tempo, it's about mm -hmm. how relaxed my hands are and allowing that drum to open up and sound beautiful you know yep so that and and that's exactly it. you know that's where those parallels are because you know the more you relax and the more like rubber band your you know arms become like rubber band quality your arms become you know the stick you throw it down the, the more force you throw it down the loose you are come back it's it's controlling it but but you know the more you loosen up it's it's you know i don't get tired like I'm more almost like mentally drained. I love to be able to say I did a gig and did three sets and be, you know, know that I gave everything and just, you know, not that I don't work up a sweat and just like, you know, you work up a sweat in yoga, you work up a sweat drumming, you're moving stuff around. But, you know, I, I don't have any of it. And part of it comes from Dom and Chapin, but, but I don't ever have tightness. I, I there, there's, there's no sign that I'm ever going to get carpal tunnel or, or any stuff like that. And if mm -hmm. you did anything with Chapin, you see that like that, you know, 
those guys are about, you know, you just keep getting looser and looser the more you play and the older you get. And so I, I, I had a lot of the, the, the drumming part of being loose, but, the, you know, combining it with yoga and kind of, they both reinforce each other. Now I've got like my breathe. I was never really able to get my breathing under control. Yeah. You know? And, and yoga has definitely helped that. And for anybody that wants to read the, the 21st century drummer online magazine, that, that has a, it's just a nice synopsis of, of all that stuff that you're talking about. It's really good. I appreciate this time so much. Um, it's been great. And thank you for having me. I, I enjoyed this as well. I mean, time. I, I'm looking at how much time because I wasn't paying attention to it. I didn't look at any clocks. So I was just like, but, but uh, no, you know, that's uh, we've great. A lot of ground. Thank you for for having me. You know, yeah, um, really. I'm hoping to get to Nam this year. I'm usually working, and uh, it looks like it might work out this year. So I'm real excited. And um, I'm hoping to, to run into you there. And and best of luck for this coming up and, that, and for the rest of the year for you, man. Same for you. Again, thanks for having And, uh, you know, at some point i got to take another little trip up to Nashville or something, too. We'll just, you know, get together with everybody else and, and do one of those things. I see, I see one of those in my near future, too. So possibly have to pace it but I'll keep you I'll keep you posted you and know, Nashville's a, Nashville's time. become a foodie town so there's always great places to eat I now. know I know it is you know <laughs> so I'm always into that you know but, you know, it's funny because even going to New York and, and I know you gotta go but even going to New York it was just as much about being a foodie trip as it was you know teaching and yeah. clinicking and yeah. whatever else I was doing yeah. it wasn't always like this yeah. now it is we have a good excuse well great Dave have a great good. rest of the day and, and thanks again yep. and you I'll too. be in touch okay sounds thanks, good bye bye so there you have it, my conversation with Dave. Uh, once again, Dave and I have run into each other a couple times uh, at NAMM shows and have some mutual friends, and it seemed like a really great fit to have him as a guest and shed some light on New York back in the 90s and studying with some great people like Dom and Jim Chapin as well. I love that story about Jim, and anyone that's met Jim Chapin probably can totally see him doing all those things that Dave was talking about. It's, uh, it was a lot of fun, and I appreciate his time. Stay tuned next week for Zach's interview with Mike Levesque. He's a Boston-area session and live drummer, so tune in next week for that. We're very excited that Sabian is partnering with us in a contest we're having for the month of October. You have until November 1st to write a review on our iTunes page, then copy and paste that review on our Facebook page so we can find you. So after this, you'll be entered into the drawing. And again, it is a free Sabian 16-inch HHX Complex Crash. But everyone, thanks again for listening, and I hope to see you around. Bye-bye.